In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9. In this chapter, we finally meet Saul, a young man from the tribe of Benjamin who's looking for his father's lost donkeys. Along the way, he meets Samuel, the prophet of Israel. And Samuel has a surprising message for Saul. He tells him that he is the one whom God has chosen to be king of Israel. Good morning and blessed Eastertide. Today is Tuesday, May 9th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, whose generous contributions help support Thy Strong Word. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is a ministry which provides Lutheran resources in various languages. You can visit them online to learn more about their translating and publishing work and how you can get involved at lhfmissions.org. Well, this morning, please join me in welcoming my guest to help us open up 1 Samuel chapter 9. It's the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Lukomsky. Good morning, Pastor Boo. My, my question is, have you got the snow taken care of up there? Because I'm coming up in a couple of weeks, and I don't want to have any snow when I get up there. I don't blame you. And finally, and at long last, I have not seen any snow. We had a giant 15-foot mound in our backyard from the parking lot, and it is... <laughs> It, the little little patch of it lasted longer than you would think, but it is all gone. It's absolutely beautiful here in Minnesota. In fact, it's so nice, it kind of makes all the snow worthwhile. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It really makes you appreciate spring in a way that we can't appreciate it here in St. Louis because, Pastor Boo, it's already been in, in the high 80s here. <laughs> yeah. we, we didn't get any of the beautiful 70 weather you're going to have this week. We just went from 50, 60, jumped right in to like 88. <laughs> so I remember when I first St. visited Louis. Minnesota before taking the call, they brought me up, I think, in that three-week window where it's absolutely beautiful, and you're just like, wow. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> so, oh, well, it's great to have you coming up our way. And yeah, so you'll get to enjoy some of this too. Yeah, I remember St. Louis being very humid a lot. Yes, it is really unbearable during the summer months, you know, but uh, at least we don't have 10 foot of snow in January and February. So there's trade offs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, what an what an interesting time for us to be talking about Israel getting a king when uh, the coronation was just happening across yeah. the pond yeah. over with our friends in the United Kingdom. Um, you know, this is this is really an. I, so I'm not the brightest guy, so when I get a chapter like this, which is kind of an obscure chapter, I have to read a lot of common uh, Terry's. But, but but what's funny is how this chapter d divides up the, the commentators, because because I read uh, you know P. E. Kretzmann who who great Lutheran commentary, wrote the popular commentary on the Bible. Uh, and, and he says, Saul here appears as a pious, God-fearing man. But then I read another more modern commentary from R.D. Bergen, and he said, Saul's unfitness to serve as a shepherd of the Lord's flock is shown in this chapter. And I think, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, but I think as we look through it, we're going to see 
Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> Both of those. Uh, and, and that's the thing. We, he's just he's just a guy. Saul's so just a guy. He has some strengths. He has some weaknesses. And, and of course, you have the joy of now going ahead and, and seeing the story, how this all works out. Because I really think that the weaknesses of Saul could have easily been dealt with if he only had recognized them as his weaknesses. But uh, no, no, the weaknesses continue. There is no repentance. And then it's going to, well, I don't want to give away the the ending. <laughs> okay. yeah. Well, but I'm with you, though. I, I found the same thing. And I guess I lean, I actually like how you reconciled him to say that, well, technically he'll have aspects of both. But I, I certainly can also see early signs where his inability to be a really good shepherd uh, yeah. or, or caretaker of his father's flock might foreshadow his inability to shepherd the nation of Israel. But you're absolutely right. I think at the heart of it isn't that somehow the next guy, who is David, of course, is going to be perfect. We know that's not true. And so Saul didn't have to be perfect. He just had to be humble and submit to God's will. And as you said, we'll see where that goes. Well, before we dive into any of the texts, though, I think we should start off with some prayer. And I'd love for you to lead us in that prayer. Oh, oh Lord, we, uh, of course, we always need your spirit. Uh, otherwise, we'd be like those disciples on the road to Emmaus. <laughs> Our eyes would just remain closed. But through your spirit, we pray that you will do what you did for them, that you'll open our eyes to the scriptures that we might see Jesus. And that's what we pray for today, that this is not just some historical event in the history of Israel, but we'll see that this is actually a story about us and about how God works in our lives through Jesus Christ. So grant us faith as we study these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in our last chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 8, um, it ended with these words. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And then Samuel takes that to God, and God says, obey their voice and make them a king and so Samuel sends everybody home, and, th and that's pretty much where we've, where we've landed before our text today. But isn't it interesting, the, the aspect that stands out the most is not necessarily that people want a king. God had promised them a king, so their impatience is there, but they wanted a king like their neighbors. It's, it's, it's interesting, um, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. They're looking around saying, yeah. we wish we had a king like all these people. <laughs> I, what an interesting I, I guess they felt like they didn't have an identity on the world stage, so to speak. Uh, this 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 desire for a king. I wonder where that came from. Well, you know, I think uh, now trying to apply that to ourselves. See, that that's the, the problem with us, too. We, we want a king in the sense and we want a worldly king. We want someone who's going to come and tell us what to do and take care of all our earthly problems. That's what we're looking for in a king. Now, of course, you're right. God has provided us a king, uh, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And, and the thing is, he doesn't take away all of our earthly problems. In fact, he says, well, you know what? You may need that earthly problem. In fact, I'm telling you, you are going to have earthly problems. In fact, take up your cross and follow me. And I think that's the thing. They, they were looking for someone who would give them the same kind of worldly blessings that they saw going on in these other nations. Because remember, at this point, 
that they have taken over the land, but they're still troubled. They're still, and, and you know, they just don't have the success, say, of a Babylon or the Assyrians or these great mighty nations. And it's the same way with us. See, we, we, we want our own particular worldly kind of king. We don't want a suffering king, but that's what we got. Okay. And that's what we need. Yeah. Cause all this other stuff is just going to pass. It's all going to pass. None of it's going to last. Uh, in fact, you know, it tickles me. Uh, I, I, I don't want to get into the subject of evolution, but I've been listening to C.S. Lewis, who has some really interesting uh, things he wrote about evolution. And, and, and I never thought about it. If you buy an evolution, essentially what you're going to say, everything's going to come to an end and that'll be it. There'll be nothing. It'll just be all darkness and coldness and all life will be gone. Well, that's a system. Isn't that a system you want to buy into? <laughs> so anyway, I'm yeah, sorry. Pessimistic, I got distracted. Well, yeah, but that pessimistic Darwinism is that things are just constantly getting worse until they're just going to be no more. And, yeah. you know, I guess they, they would claim that Christianity is untenable because it requires this, well, what we know as our king of kings. And on Earth, I suppose there are a lot of temptations for people to not stand out from the crowd. They want to be like the their neighbors. They, they don't want to be different. And I also hear that in the voices of the Israelites. They're, they're set apart. They're holy. They're, they're supposed to be a unique nation. But they're thinking, as you pointed out, well, look at the Assyrians. Look at all these mighty kingdoms. Look at the... Philistines. Now, I don't know the Philistines were very unified, but they were a thorn in their side. We know we want to be protected from them. I, I just I just think about that today. We do the same thing. We, we always look around us, even in the church and say, well, boy, if, if only our church body was like that, or if only our congregation was like that congregation, or if only Christians weren't so different than the rest of the people, perhaps people would like us better, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always this desire to want to be like other people instead of to appreciate and really lean into the identity that God has given you. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And, and the interesting thing is we, we can do it from a standpoint that oh, we don't want to interfere with the, the morality of the world. We'll just go along with whatever crazy things the morality is or, or just the opposite. Then we'll we'll join all the right wing factions and say, oh, we're totally opposed. Not realizing that, no, we are totally different than Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> OK, because we focus totally in faith and in love and, and nobody else does that. Everyone else is only concerned about whatever they think is their proper morality and their worldly goals. Uh, we're the only group out there who says we care about what's happening. And what well, we do in terms of we want to love our neighbor. We want to be supportive and caring and helping in every possible faction we can. But ultimately, we don't really care what's happening in this world because actually the evolutionists are right. It's all going to come to an end. However, we know, as the text says this coming Sunday, that God has appointed one who will come and judge. Uh, and that's a good thing because the guy who's judging is Jesus. And man, he's already been here and he suffered and died for us. So if I got a judge coming, that's the guy I want to come. So so I agree with you. Yeah, the, the, the attitude of the Israelites is pretty much the attitude of, of well, people today and, and, and every day. Well, why don't we get into the text? Is there anything you want to lay the foundation for before we read anything? I'm just going to read the first two verses when it comes time. But anything you want to uh, you want to well, put out there? I, I, just just like I said, let, let's listen to the text and see whether we agree with Kretzmann 
our Bergen. Is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? And and knowing like full it. well that he's both. He's both. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, the first two verses, and I'm just going to stop with those because I, well, I think they're interesting. It begins yep. in verse nine, chapter nine. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Bekaroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. And there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. All right, just pausing there, we have this young handsome, tall, rich boy, young man named Saul. <laughs> um, yeah. We know that Saul's going to be the one chosen to be king. It, it's, it's already given away in our history. It's also given away by the title that the ESV editors have given this. <laughs> so so it, it just seems like, I guess, why are we being drawn to his? Uh, it's one of the things we think of when we think of Christ is that, uh, particularly the, the prophecy that he wasn't particularly uh, have an appearance that would draw people to him. And we don't to this day really know what he looks like, but here the very first King of Israel, he's uh, you know, tall, dark and handsome and rich. I mean, why are we being told these things? Is this what God is looking for in a King? Well, so, so actually it relates to what, what you just read that the people of Israel wanted a King like the other nations. Okay. And by the way, uh, Pastor Boo, what a great insight. I hadn't even thought about that. So it's not the desire for a king that's the problem. Cause as you pointed out, God promised them a king. Okay. But it's the desire for a king who's like all the worldly kings. And, and that's the point. This is what they're getting. This is the kind of leader you want, is it? A guy who's rich, wealthy, a guy who's good looking, you know, stands out in terms of his appearance. Uh, I, I was going to say kind of like a guy like Donald Trump, but but I think, no, maybe I shouldn't go there. John Kennedy. <laughs> I think John Kennedy would fit this image, you know, and he's a lot of people really have great respect for him and rightfully so. But, yeah, so this is what would be the ideal picture of an earthly leader. And I, that's the whole point. Of course, again, I don't want to have a spoiler, but but later on when we get King David, you know, God will give the editorial comment. That's not how I look when I pick a king. I don't look at what they right. look like on the outside. I look what they are on the heart and the inside. Yeah. But that that would be my understanding. It's just this is the kind of king you would have. What What nation wouldn't like to have a king like this? Absolutely. I definitely think that's the reason why we're being told this. You know, he he looks the part. He looks, well, I was going to say presidential, but let's say kingly, right? He looks <laughs> regal. Um, he's the one that you want to follow into battle, or at least he will be the one. Um, we'll read a few more verses here, uh, starting with verse oh, Wait, three. wait, be, before you go any further. Oh, so here's the, here's the interesting com comment that Bergen makes, though, is that this is the only place in the Bible that a a person is praised for being tall in every other right. reference in the Bible. If a person is tall, it's because they're the enemy, they're the problem. And of course we know in the future, David will actually bring down a man who is very, very tall. So I don't know. That's just Bergen's comment. That, well, that's interesting that usually that is not a good thing to be tall. This is the only instance where it might be construed as a positive thing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the Nephilim, obviously Goliath, as you mentioned. The um, there's an Egyptian mentioned that he's being tall. The Cushites, the Amorites, um, David's older brother Eliab, who God rejects as king, he's also described as being tall. 
it, yeah, it tends to be one of those characteristics that are brought out whenever they are in antithesis to the people. Why? I guess I don't know, but because you would think taller is better. But go, yeah. for Goliath, it kind of makes sense because it's contra, you know, it's contrasted to David's youth and and short stature. But yeah, that that is interesting. So you have this tall guy, and um, I guess well, again, we'll have to keep deciding whether or not we think he's a he's a well fit <laughs> character for this role, or he's a little mixed of both. Uh, we're starting with three, then. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Raim, and he passed through the land of uh, Shalisha, but they did not find them. They passed through the land of Sha'alim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he could tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servants, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. In parentheses, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said. Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. That's the end of verse 10. So, and I know you read this too. So what I read was, you know, one thing is the ability for him to basically lose this herd of donkeys. It's not just a couple. And, and how do you lose an entire herd of donkeys? And they look everywhere. And even with the idea of let's go ask somebody, that comes from his servant, not from Saul. Saul's like, you know, I think dad's probably getting worried about us. Let's just go home. Um, you could read that a couple ways. You could read it as Saul being like, well, I'm sick of looking. Let's just go home. Or you could read it as Saul saying, you know, um, I'm sure we're our, our welfare is more important to my father than donkeys. So I think we should make sure he knows how we're doing. You could you could spin it both ways. I don't think the text is clear. Well, and, and so if I were going to write a, a play on this, uh, I, you know, I, I would have Saul be kind of the clueless, the clueless guy and, and the young servant, because it, it, the word servant here actually is a really young man. So this is it's just an adolescent, just a kid. And the kid knows so much more <laughs> than what, what his boss knows, what his master knows. And, and uh, yeah, but, but again, that very last thing about the fact, well, maybe we need to go back because maybe my dad will be more concerned. He won't be concerned about the donkey. He'll be concerned about us. Uh, and, and you're right. On the one hand, is that the kind of leader you want? A kind of leader who gives up before the job is done? Oh, and right. you're absolutely right, Pastor Boone. And that was the point that, that, that Bergen makes. There's obviously a contrast between David, who was a wonderful shepherd, who did not leave his sheep, did not run when the wolves and the bears and the lions show up. Uh, and here's a guy who said, ah, I don't know, I can't find him. Let's just go home. Um, so I think there definitely is the kind of the, the sign here that this this guy is lacking. But, but here's the thing. That's all right. 
Because if he would have come to God like Solomon and said, you know, God, man, this is really a tough thing trying to rule these people. So, so give me wisdom. I, I think I think Saul would have been all right. OK, to, to have these weaknesses is not necessarily a, a bad thing. We all have weaknesses. We just need to turn to the Lord and, and say, hey, I repent. These are my help me. Uh, of course, and I don't want to be a spoiler. You know, Saul's not going to do that. But yeah, so they're definitely I think the text does kind of show that Saul, he, he doesn't really know what he's doing at this point. He's not the best of the shepherds. He, he's <laughs> ready to give up. But but again, I, I I think, too, I think he is concerned about what his dad's going to think. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think he realizes his dad's probably, and we're not getting anything done. You know, the striking thing, though, in all of this, uh, uh, Pastor Boo, is how does he not know about Samuel? Because <laughs> right. earlier in the text, it says everybody in Israel knows about Samuel. Even this little young kid who's accompanying him on this journey, he knows about Samuel. How can Saul not know about this great prophet or slash seer? Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Uh, uh, how can he not know that? See, that's the really disturbing thing. I'm getting the impression this is probably a guy that doesn't go to church a lot, you think? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I don't know. For the high holidays, he might show up. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I also I, I think that there are two things in play here. Either one, he literally doesn't know about Samuel or yeah. two, it just never occurs to him to go seek the Lord's help through his servant oh, Samuel. Man. Man. So either one, I think, is in, is sort of a, a spiritual blindness that we're seeing as foreshadowing within Saul. Um, but what I, I do think is interesting, so I don't know why the parenthetical statement here to sort of define the word seer. It's like, uh, remember when it says in today's prophet, it's really talking about the day of that first Samuel was written. So he's saying, oh, yeah, you know, a seer. That's what we used to call prophets. Um, I, I, I guess we kind of do that today. But regardless, he, the seer slash prophet, he's is he really there to help find donkeys? Is that something that they normally would have gone to God for? <laughs> And then, of course, they got to pay the man. So they're like, well, we can't bring him any food. You can't go just asking for a favor. So we're going to bring him a tenth of an ounce of silver, just the tiniest amount. I guess it really stood out to me, this sort of pay for play kind of uh, uh, setup that the prophets have. Now, of course, I understand they had to be taken care of. It's their, their, I guess their uh, vocation didn't exactly bring in a ton of money. Uh, but anyway, that whole setup, I think, is very interesting. Yeah, and, and, and so, so and as a pastor, of course, it's, it's good you say that. The labor is worthy is higher. All right. No, no, we're not suggesting that people say, oh, well, pastors don't need to be paid. <laughs> Trust me, we do. <laughs> Honestly. Take care of but my family, I, right. Uh, yeah. So, but see, I think there you've touched. See, that, that's the thing. The people that don't come to church, they don't understand why you should come to church and why you should make an offering to the church. See, they have exactly the same attitude as Saul has here. Well, I guess we've got to pay our dues, you know. And Well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't got anything to pay. And, and of course, the servant again, the servant is really the star of this show because the servant says, well, you know what? I, I got this, like you say, tenth of a piece of silver and and they'll take that. Trust me. They, you don't have to come in there with like, you know, three or four pieces of silver. That, that's not how these prophets and seers work. They they just want to be helpful to people. But you're right. We, we should try to give them whatever we can give them. Uh, and going back to today, you don't go to church because it's something that God needs you to do. 
God actually does rather well whether you go to church or not. Hurts him, I think. It hurts him because he's our father. And, and as a father, I know how it would hurt me if my kids didn't show up to say hi every once in a while. That would really hurt. But but it won't change me as a father. I'll get along fine, uh, you know. Uh, and that's why we, we come for ourselves uh, so God can, can do all the good things he wants to. Think about the good things that Samuel's going to do for Saul, and he's totally oblivious. And I think people that don't go to church, that's what they're oblivious to the good things God wants to do for them. That's why you ought to come. And then, of course, the reason you give at church is not because you're paying off the pastor, paying off God, but because, yes, church workers need to be cared for. They have families, too. They have to eat. And, and that's why we do it, because we love them and we want to provide for them. But in no sense are we giving them something so that they'll, nor nor does God work that way. We don't give things to God so that he'll do things for us. In fact, what do we got to give God? It's all his stuff anyway. I think that's a really good distinction, because I've heard people say, and, and I think they were genuinely earnest about saying it, not trying to be malicious, but well, you know, you shouldn't, pastors shouldn't get paid. They should do it for the love of the gospel. And, and I guess to apply that to our situation here, we, you one might say, well, Samuel shouldn't be expect, and we're not saying he's expecting it. That's something they want to do for him. But, you know, they shouldn't charge for their services. They should just do it out of the generosity of their heart. And I would say, well, yeah, I think there's some truth to that in the sense that if people were supporting the prophet, talking about the context of our reading, um, then they they do. They, it's by their own desire that they say, well, we really, really need to bring him something if we're expecting him to do something for us. I don't know that it's necessarily a a bribe, in except that it's just known that these people uh, are supported by the free will of those who come and seek their seek their wisdom. And and, and it's interesting. Samuel never asks for anything, does he? No, he doesn't ask right. for anything from them. No, no, he just has all kinds of good news, uh, the the gospel, to, to give to Saul. And, and that's the same way with God. He, he has nothing. He doesn't ask anything of us. Again, it's a good when we love people, and that's what we do. I, I hope no one gives money because they feel that's their obligation. I hope everyone gives money because they want uh, their leaders to be taken care of. They want this gospel to be spread through all nations as Jesus has commanded. And that's what we do. We take that money and we, we give it to missions and, and, and spread that gospel around, support things like KFUO. Uh, um, but yeah, you're, he doesn't ask for anything. He, he's just going to give. And that's how it is with God, which of course is the whole principle, right? We love as God first loved us. <laughs> See, it's not, we love, so God will love us. But when you know how much God loves you, well, then, of course, when you see somebody in need, you're going, to, well, that's what God would do. I, I, I want to do that, too. Absolutely. Well, you know, we don't really have time to get into the next text before the break, but just for a few minutes, tell me a little bit about the servant here. Who would he have been? And you said earlier that we would have known that he was a, a young man, like an adolescent. How do we know that? Well, because that's actually what the word says. <laughs> I have no idea. I guess because they don't want to confuse us. Because Saul is also a, a word for being a young man. Uh, although the, the Hebrew word there for Saul means a man who's in his prime. Okay, he's probably 
30s, uh, maybe 35. Uh, but but the word that is translated servant repeatedly here, and I don't know, maybe you can uh, give me some understanding. I don't know why the English translates it servant, because it's not the word for slave. Uh, the word that's usually used, uh, uh, you know, diaconus would be the word in the Greek. Uh, but it is the word for a lad. He's, he's a child. Uh, well, I guess he's probably, what do, what do you think? Maybe a, a, a teenager or something? But he's a, take him along. He's, he's going to carry the backpack. That's what he's going to do. And, and the, we, we uh, don't you know, I was just going to say that the Hebrew there is Na'ar, but that's not as helpful maybe as knowing that the Septuagint translates um, uh, Pi, Pideon, which we know okay. and we've seen oh, yeah, that's child. Even, even more so, Pideon, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that definitely that definitely is child. So I have no idea why the SV, and I imagine, well, I can tell you right now, does the King James translate servant as well? <laughs> um, I don't know offhand. Well, I, I just looked it up here. Uh, well, we'll find it in a moment. But but um, sure. yeah, I, it, so that's that's what it is. It's just a youngster that he took along, like I said, to do some chores for him because he is the son of a rich man and sons of rich men. They don't do things like carry backpacks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they have someone do that for them. Uh, uh, well, actually, interesting that that uh, the King James translates its servant too. So I suppose, oh. suppose maybe the ESV is simply following that tradition, but I don't know why. Very possible. Very possible. Interesting. I was just curious. Well, we're going to follow our tradition right now, which is going to a break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Lekomsky and I will keep on going through 1 Samuel chapter 9. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO. Friends, thanks for gathering around God's Word with us this morning. You know, I'd love to hear from you, so you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can connect with me on Facebook. You can ask me anything or just say hello. If you like Thy Strong Word, why not share it with others who might enjoy it too? The program airs on AM850 in St. Louis, or you can stream it live or on demand at KFUO.org or using the KFUO app or on your favorite podcasting service. Either way, I appreciate that you've chosen to grow in your faith with me and my guests every weekday. So thank you so much for being part of the show. Well, Pastor Lukomsky, before the break, we were just you know, just tidying things up in this text that we've read so far. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to what happens next? 
Yeah, thank you for that opportunity, because in the break, I was thinking, you know, let, let's give Saul a break about this, this idea that maybe I need to pay the, the seer something, because obviously that's how most seers worked back in those days. Uh, and I think also to the unchurched who don't understand. They don't understand how it works. They, too, think I got to do something. I got to go to church, got to make an offering, you know. Uh, and of course, no, you don't need to do any of that. In fact, if you're doing it because you think you need it, probably isn't isn't all that good. Uh, you should do it because that's what you want to do it out of love, do it out of freedom. But but anyway, see, it's the same thing. You see all these preachers uh, on the TV and, and they've got their big fancy cars and they're flying around in airplanes. And I guess you begin to think, well, I guess it really is all about the money and and all the earthly blessings they get from this. And that's the way it was with Sears and Saul's day. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, maybe Saul's thinking, well, you know, I don't have a lot of money to give him, so I'm probably not going to like what he's going to tell me, because that's pretty much how it worked. You know, the more money you gave to a seer, the, the, the better his prophecies were going to be. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? You, you give him a lot mm -hmm. of money, and he'll have all kinds of good things to tell you. If you don't, well, you know, <laughs> you probably don't want to hear what he has to say. So I just thought, yeah, maybe we need to give in defense of Saul. He's probably had experience with other so-called steers, and he knows sure. that's pretty much how it works. You better give a lot of money. And, 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 and you know, isn't that crazy? Because that's what some of these guys actually do, isn't it, Pastor Boo? Right. They actually say, you know, the reason you got problems is because you're not given enough. <laughs> yeah, we've seen that today, and he had it going on back then, too. Nothing new under the sun with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. just like with some of the other things with Saul's, I guess, characteristics, we can either look at them negatively or positively. And so I guess one positive way to spin this, so to speak, is that um, maybe he goes, OK, but if I'm going to go consult with someone who's going to speak on behalf of God, then I should present like in a positive way. I should give him something. I should present something. So it, it also could be a sign of faithfulness, just like we've been able to we've been dancing back and forth between are these foreshadowings of his tumultuous uh, kingship or is this. Indications that he's starting off strong and faithful. You know, it's it's very it's very hard to say, but I guess you could look at that in a positive way too. And and thank you for using the word faithfulness, because because Pastor Boo, that's the issue, isn't it? Is he doing it as a work, thinking that this someone will will accomplish something for him, get him uh, the benefit of God and God's blessings? Because obviously that's what a seer is. He's supposed to be somebody representing God, God's means of communicating to us. So is that his attitude that, well, we've got to do something? Or is it an attitude just like you say, no, no, I know God's going to bless me, uh, but I, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's proper, what's good, and what's loving. Uh, and, and, yeah, I don't know. We can't judge Saul's heart at this point. Right. Um, all right. Very good. good discussion. <laughs> well, here we go. We're going to start with verse 11. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? And they answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. I'd like to just pause there. A couple of things stand out to me. First off, uh, this young woman going to draw out the water. There's a 
sort of a motif there. We, we've seen that uh, significant events happen in the lives of Patriarch and Moses, uh, the other patriarchs, I should say. And then um, also this high place, right? So these high places were kind of like outdoor temples that would eventually be um, abolished. But I guess as for right now, under under Samuel's control, they're, they're proper places to worship Yahweh. Um, what do you think about that? Well, well so, so you got two things there, and, and, and I think this theme runs through this whole chapter. You got the guy who's supposed to be the smart guy, the leader. The As you said, he looks like this is the guy who should step forward and say, follow me, and yet he's clueless. But you have all these young people, this this young servant of his, this this Pideon, this child, this young woman. They know what's going on, and they know where to give you directions. And I'm thinking out of the mouth of babes, right? Is that what the, at the Lord? Jesus says. And that's so true. The guys that are so smart who should know all things, sometimes they are just so dumb. And yet God takes all these people, these humble people, and they're pointing the way. They know what's going on. Uh, and, and then in terms of the high places, yeah, that's kind of a troublesome thing, because like you, you said later on, the high places will be abolished. But I think, don't, don't you think, Pastor Will, reflects really the the sad state of Israel at this point. I mean, they've had a certain amount of military victory. They, they've they've claimed the territories that God had promised them, but but they have no central place to worship. Uh, the, the things have gone wrong. The ark has been stolen. Uh, Shiloh as a central place no longer exists, and so they've had to kind of just out of practicality resort to setting up a temple here. Well, not a temple, but a high place, a place of sacrifice and worship. So I think it kind of reflects how sad things are at this point in Israel and why they probably do need a king. But it goes back to your original question. They don't need a worldly king. That's not their big problem is that they've got all these worldly uh, oppositions. The big problem is they've lost any kind of spiritual leader to the point where people like Saul don't even know who the prophet is anymore. Yeah, I mean, and that is that is the issue. He, the people don't really know Yahweh as he wants to be known, and here this future king doesn't even know his prophets, if we are reading it that way. But I really love how you brought out that. Seems like everybody else does, though. You know, this, this yeah. young child, or young man, however old he is, these young ladies going to get everybody knows. Well, and I'll tell you another thing that stood out for me, and I'm sure it did for you, too. Uh, is that the people won't eat until the pastor comes and blesses the food. <laughs> As a good, I, I don't know how many times I've been a little delayed going downstairs for the uh, suppers or whatever, and people are running around trying to find me so I can say the blessing. And sometimes I'm like, you can bless it too. I'm busy. <laughs> but right. not in this case. He has to bless the sacrifice. Uh, and, and you know what? See, you, you made me smile, too, as I was thinking about this in terms of the church, because sometimes as pastors, we see all of this confusion and people seem so spiritually weak and they're not going to church the way they used to. And we begin to despair. And, and then I look at this and say, yeah, but you know what? There are people out there who do understand, who do have faith. It may seem like everybody has gone their own way 
but that's not so. The church still exists. The faithful are still here. There are still people who, yes, respect the pastor so much that they won't eat until he comes down and blesses the sacrifice. And and that's the, that's the comforting thing. For as many people who have gone their own way, there is still this faithful hand for the little church that Luther talked about that is still there. And it will always be there. And it will never come to an end because God watches over his little flock. Uh, if, if Saul wasn't very good at taking care of his donkeys, trust me, the Lord is our shepherd. And he's really good at taking yeah. care of his flock. So as they're entering the city, they saw Samuel. He's coming out toward them. We're going to pick up with verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came, Yahweh had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Now, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord Yahweh told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me where is the house of the seer? And Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your, all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? And before Samuel answers that, we'll take another pause. So, yeah, he runs into Samuel, doesn't recognize him. Uh, is this a symbol of his spiritual blindness or is this just sort of normal? Well, he didn't know what he looked like, so he didn't know that it was him. I don't know. Well, so, so here, here's the thing. Uh, it brought to mind the story of the disciples of, of Emmaus, but Jesus is right with them and, and their eyes are kept from seeing him. Uh, Mary Magdalene, who thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Uh, I, I think the whole point is if, if you're going to really see and understand what's going on, it has to come to you by God's word and and His Holy Spirit that none of us understand. In fact, to me, I think this is this is the part of the text that is just such a great blessing for for you and me and all of our listeners. <coughs> Pardon me, because sometimes life does seem like it's just a series of accidents, doesn't it? It's just one thing happening after the other. There doesn't seem to be any sense to it. No coordination, uh, uh, no leadership, as it were. Uh, and yet, of course, this text reminds us that's the way it appeared. That's the way it appeared for, for Saul. My goodness, he just happened to bump into Samuel at a town. Didn't even know Samuel. Didn't even know he was there. But the fact of the matter is, no, this is all. Everything's organized. Everything's going according to the plan of God. Uh, it is a thing of faith, though. You, you can't see that with your eyes. It, it will remain hidden to our eyes. But it is a fact. But the only way you can know that, see, is through the Word of God. How do we know that everything is happening here just exactly the way God wants it? Because God spoke to Samuel, and he told him exactly what was going to happen. And, and, and the beautiful thing here is, is God's doing this because I've seen my people because their cry has come to me. Uh, anyone out there who's struggling with whatever they're struggling with, the Lord is aware of that. 
and he's working on it. He's working on it. Trust me, you may not see that. It may see like things are, are, are spiraling out of control or indeed whatever's happening is just happening by fluke. Uh, and actually, but it ain't that way. No, no, no. The Lord has made his plans and, and they're always plans intended for our good and benefit. And we see that here. We see that here with, with uh, Samuel and with Saul. Uh, although, what do you take of the fact that Samuel says, he says he's going to save his people, which is mm -hmm. a great thing. But then he says he shall restrain my people. Yeah. Now, there is a, all kinds of different takes on that. I just wonder what's your take on that, that he will restrain my people. You know, my my first impression when I read that was simply that the people, we've just been talking about it. They're not worshiping God properly. You know, things have, have kind of spiraled out of control. God has a will for them. And so I think that restraint is in terms of boundaries. Not It's not a negative thing. He's not going to handcuff his people, but rather he's going to put them back into the boundaries where they can be uh, they can be safe and they can and they can worship God according to his will and follow after his will. I, at least that's how I read it in sort of a positive sense, because, as you said, God is in control. He's behind the things that are happening, which also brings to my mind um, the, the whole fact that that Saul cannot find this large herd of donkeys it is, is is interesting because people in the commentaries, which we discussed at the beginning, was, well, that's a sign of his inability to shepherd even human uh, herds, rather, <laughs> or herds of donkeys. How is he going to shepherd the people of God? And, and maybe that is true because we're not explicitly told. But it's also certainly probable or plausible that God prevented him from finding his, his – uh, his donkeys, his dad's donkeys, because he has to put him in contact with Samuel. So sometimes I think as we write these commentaries or even discuss them between one another, we can, uh, I guess, go a little too far in the things that we say that God hasn't revealed. And I think that's also a restraint that needs to be happening. So I see restraint in terms of restraint, I guess. I, I Man, Pastor Boo, I really like that because, you know, I've lost my donkey sometimes and I'm wondering, <laughs> what's this about, God? Come on, I'm working my butt off. Where are my stupid donkeys? And, and, and you're right. Maybe I've lost my donkeys because there's something greater that God wants me to find, you know, right. something greater <laughs> he wants to do for me. And if I found my donkeys, well, I wouldn't even worry about finding God. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about talking to the seer because I got my donkeys. I'll just go home happy. Uh, and, and yeah, see, and, and you're absolutely right. However you take the word restraint, it is because God loves. Uh, now, I, I do take it a little more in the negative. I, I, mm -hmm. The Lutheran talk, I, I would say Saul's going to be the God guy or the, the law guy, rather. And David will be the gospel guy, and that's an oversimplification. But they, they wanted they wanted a king like the other kings, and I think Saul is going to be the illustration. That's not what you want. A king, yes, but not a king like the other nations. And, and I think Saul will be that that evidence. But again, that's not because God hates us. It's not because he wants to punish us. He's a father and he disciplines his children because he loves his children. So I agree with you completely. Uh, whatever the sense of restraint, it, it is intended for their blessing. And thank you for reminding us that when we lose our donkeys, that's intended <laughs> for our blessing, too. <laughs> as long as you're not coveting your neighbor's donkeys, I think you'll be fine.
But you know, the the other thing though is I think we're actually in complete agreement because the restraining is positive from the Lord's perspective to keep his people safe and within his will. But if you're on the other side, if you're the donkey, <laughs> you don't like to be restrained. It feels like law. So when God says, don't covet, don't steal, don't even commit adultery, don't uh, you know, be sure to honor your father and your mother and all that other thing, to the sinful self, that those restraints feel, and they are, uh, law. But obviously, they are for our benefit. And uh, and then, of course, once we recognize that, we we get the the benefit of the gospel. But yeah, I think it's I think we're, we're talking about the exact same thing, just different perspectives. We are, Pastor Boone, and, and I didn't come up with this. I, I read it somewhere years and years ago. But this was one of my illustrations when I would teach confirmation, the the commandments. I'd say I know to us they look like they're these bars that are keeping us in prison. But the fact of the matter is, we're out of the prison. They're the bars that are keeping us from going into the prison. Trust me, mm, all these like commandments that. about coveting and thou shalt not kill. When you break those things, you don't gain freedom. You actually lose your freedom. So, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. We are completely in agreement with that. But again, <laughs> see, the, the people outside of Christianity don't understand that, do they? When, when they read these passages and the, the, the Psalms, we're doing Psalm 119, which is just all about David praising the law. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, gee, I don't know. That I, but, but yeah, when you, when you are Christians, of course, everything that God gives us in the law, again, it's not about him bossing us around. He's God. He doesn't need to boss people. Trust me, you'll do whatever he wants you to do. Right. But, but it is about, it is about his love and care for us that we wouldn't, hurt ourselves and hurt other people. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, verses 22 through 27. Then Samuel took Saul and his young oh, man and brought man, them. Uh, Pastor Boo, I'm sorry. I do this to you all the time. Before we <laughs> okay. before we go on, I'm sorry. Well, we, we just need to comment real quickly because uh, we've been talking about the negative and the positives. Certainly one of the greatest positives in this text about Saul is the fact that he says, why would you choose me? I'm from the clan of Benjamin. We're, we're not, we're kind of the, 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 the most unlikely clan to have leadership come. Uh, you know, we're small and, and we've done things that probably good God loving people shouldn't do. So, so yeah, I just, we needed to point that out that at this, he is, he is humble. This is great. Yes. This is good. If he would just continue this. Uh, he, he probably could have been one of the greatest leaders that Israel ever had. So the least of I'm all the sorry. tribes and the humblest of all the clams of the tribe. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, here we go. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof up that I might send you on your way. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. 
I absolutely love it, brother, that Samuel had uh, had him a plate made <laughs> before <Yeah. laughs> he got there. He had it set aside waiting for him. I think that's amazing. Well, see, it, 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 yeah, for, as pastors, we understand that because we've got stuff to do. We, we're not the first person to get down to the, the wedding uh, uh, feast, uh, the wedding meal. And and I can remember I always had Saturday night church. So we do the wedding. I'd say, well, I'll, I'll join you guys later, you know, when you, you have your dinner. And yeah, you always wondered, would there be anything left for us by the time we got there? But of course they did. They would have something set back for us and we would not go hungry. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the other thing here, too, of course, is is right away you think of the story of Jesus and the, the, the parable he told. When you're invited to a wedding feast, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place. Right. Because then then when the, the master comes in, he can say, hey, come up, come up higher. Join me here at table. And, and see, that's the beautiful thing, right? Uh, Saul says, I don't deserve anything. I don't even deserve to get my donkeys back, but thank you. Thank you for telling me that the donkeys are okay. And isn't that beautiful, too? That See, God doesn't just come and say, well, I'm going to give you all these spiritual blessings. I'm taking care of your lost donkeys. Would you quit worrying about that? We'll get the donkeys to you. But I got some, something that's so much more important for you than that's your right. stupid donkeys. Uh, but but <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's what God wants to do for everyone that's listening to us right now. Um you just deal with what you got to do with, but know that God's got it all taken care of. He's got his plans made. He's got a place of honor for you. And it's not that we need to humble ourselves so that then we deserve the place of honor. You know, I think there is that kind of danger that we think, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be a really humble person and then God's just going to give me. No, no, it's it's to realize that we are humble people. We are. We really don't deserve. I marvel at this all the time. God has just showered his blessings upon me, Pastor Boo, and, and I don't really deserve any of them. I'm just a stinker. I really am a stinker. And and yet, and yet he does. He has just showered all kinds of good things upon me. In fact, right now, I, I, I don't have any missing donkeys at all. Um, <laughs> so there you go. And that's the story. That's the story for you yeah. and me. Uh, um, this is what God intends to do, and, and, and he will. He will do it. Uh, and, and the other thing, I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, but but my, no. my own pastor here, uh, Pastor uh, uh, Bittner, he wrestles with pride. And I think, oh, Pastor Bittner, we all wrestle with pride. Trust me, that just goes with the territory. But I also said, you don't need to worry about that, because trust me, if you get too proud, God is really, really good at, at restraining us. You want to use the word <laughs> you used before? And, and humbling us. But But you realize that's okay, too. Because he'll never cause us to despair. He's always ready to, with the word, though. Isn't that right, Pastor? With the word. You're not going to have this happen apart from the things that God reveals, like he reveals here to Samuel, and then through Samuel to Saul. Well, and, and that's what's beautiful about this story. And I love how you illustrate this the whole point, which is here we have this Saul guy, and he's worried about his donkeys. He's worried about what his dad's going to think. He's looking everywhere. He's only going to the seer because he's trying to solve the donkey situation, and he's so focused on these worldly things. He is, in many ways, blind to the spiritual things of God, and, of course, God has a great plan prepared for him. And I, and I, and I agree with you, too. As you said earlier, things could have been fine. He could have humbled himself. He could have submitted, sought wisdom from the Lord, uh, but he did not. I don't think that God set him up to fail. But no, rather, no. 
but rather he he does fail. But he has to be king before he fails, and so we don't even know that he's going to be king yet. Wink, wink. Right. So yeah, we have yeah. at the end of <laughs> we have the end of our chapter today is a cliffhanger because he says, "Tell the boy to go on. I have something to tell you." Uh, that's going to be tomorrow, folks. But first, I'd like to thank my guest, who's the Reverend John Lukomsky, Pastor Emeritus, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO Radio. Catch him and Pastor Matt Clark on Saturdays at 9 a.m. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you, Pastor Boo. It's always a joy. Yeah, for me, too. And, folks, as I said, tomorrow, I'll just go ahead and let you know, Samuel pours oil on Saul's head. Why? Because he's anointing him as king. But then Igorsi gives him three signs to prove that God has really chosen him. Chapter ends with him presenting Saul as the king to the people. They shout out, long live the king. But not everybody's happy. We'll look at all of that tomorrow. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.